Okay, it's uh, 4.12, and we have a quorum, so uh, I'm going to call this meeting to order. Uh, for those of you who don't remember or know me, my name is Mike Wasikowski. I am the uh, current chair of the Public Transit Advisory Committee, and I will be uh, running this meeting. So thank you, everyone, for attending. Uh, Felice, could you go through uh, the instructions for uh, behavior in uh, this call, as well as a roll call? Yes. Good evening, my name is Felice Laverne, Transit Planner 2 with Lawrence Transit. With me here is Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. He will work alongside Mike Wasikowski to facilitate the meeting proceedings. Adam and myself will facilitate the Zoom portion of the meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, we may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name and title for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn your video on and off by clicking on the video icon for the menu. For the purposes of the public meeting, please keep your video on when you're participating in the meeting. When you're not participating, it is okay to turn your video off. Just remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. If you're participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. Now we'll turn the meeting back over to PTAC Chair Mike Wazikowski. Thank you. Do we want to go through a roll call of attendees? Yes. Lance Fay. Logan Stewart. Here. Mike Wazikowski. Here. Nick Kuzmiak. Alan Ackland. Here. Gregory Critchlow. Bill Wilson. August Rudisell. Here. Freddie Gipp. Here. I just see Nick joining right now. Okay. Well, uh, I see Nick has joined. Thank you very much, Nick. Uh, first order of business is to review and approve the minutes from our uh, February meeting. For those of you who uh, have internet connections, the uh, link to the minutes is on the agenda. And uh, as with last meeting, uh, I'll offer three opportunities for uh, people to review and provide uh, updates and friendly amendments to the minutes before we deem them approved by unanimous consent. So does everyone have an opportunity to review the minutes from last week? And does anyone have any uh, amendments to offer to the minutes? 
Any amendments? Okay, hearing no further amendments. Amendments are approved by unanimous consent then. Thank you very much for uh, your effort reviewing those. At this time, we'll uh, proceed on to agenda item one, which is the proposed service changes for uh, this coming August. Uh, Adam, I believe you have uh, some uh, supporting documents to present to us. Yes, this is Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, and I guess I just want to step back for a second and um, let you know we did not have uh, written public comment for item B on the agenda, but I do think I see uh, one member of the public on the Zoom call, um, JT Thornburg. So I apologize for that. That's uh, okay. But just want to check in with Mr. Thornburg if, if you had any general public comment or if you uh, wanted to speak to a particular agenda item. This is Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. We'll, we'll be available. Oh, I see a chat that um, Mr. Thornburg. Just listening, okay. So. Thank you for uh, attending, JT. All right, so Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, yes, I will bring up some information related to proposed service changes for August of this year. So that is Sorry, give me a second here. Gonna do it this way so I don't uh, fumble around with figuring out the notes versus presentation mode um, okay so our proposed route changes this year are um, are with a couple of couple of particular routes so I guess I want to start out by clarifying that um, you know we have a big um, major route redesign study just about to start this year uh, this is separate from that um, the major route redesign study is about system redesign, really looking at our, our transit system in a, a holistic way, um, in particular in coordination with the transit facility that we are moving forward with over at Bob Billings and Crestline. So what I'm going to walk through here is, um, is kind of our annual route changes that we propose. Um, the reason why we're still doing this right before a major route redesign study is that these proposed changes would be in effect for a whole year before that major route redesign would go into effect. And um, looking at the system, just the way things are set up, the couple of changes we're proposing here we, we think will persist uh, through um, even after major route redesign. So we do try to avoid whiplash where you make changes to a route one year and then turn around the next year and make changes again. Um, but we do think the changes we'll look at today will be, um, will be changes that 
that also still makes sense after major route redesign. So um, looking at the first proposed route change, uh, this is along Route 1, and I've, I've zoomed into just the area of the route where we are proposing changes on Route 1. Um, provide a little context for you know, the area of the route we're talking about. So everything south and east of 11th and Delaware is going to stay the exact same under these proposed changes. Um, so we're really zeroing in on kind of that northwest part of the route, um, close to the downtown area. And what we are looking at is, um, is trying to more directly serve some of the new development that has occurred in the Warehouse Arts District. Um, there are two existing uh, apartment buildings in that area with a third um, at 8th and Pennsylvania that's slated to open up this August. Um, so we're getting a lot more density uh, in, this, in this pocket of East Lawrence, as well as some business development. Um, so this proposed change uh, from downtown takes the route along 7th Street past the Santa Fe train depot and Van Gogh, um, up New Jersey along 8th Street, and then taking Delaware uh, over to 11th. So there's those three um, lofts that I mentioned. Penn Street lofts will be completed this year. Already existing are the Polar lofts and the Nine Dell lofts. Um, a couple other things along this section of proposed route would be Kennedy Glass, which um, is a growing business right now, um, having more employees and more, more business there. Uh, Van Gogh Mobile Arts is over in that area, um, and the Santa Fe Depot, which I mentioned. So really looking at that as an opportunity to, to capture some ridership for people that are not currently close to, um, close to a route. Um, we did look at the handful of bus stops that would no longer be served by Route 1, uh, just to check the ridership at those stops and, and try to understand um, if there's big pockets of, of ridership that we need to be thinking about. Um, at a few of these stops, there are two people per day. At one of them, there's four people per day. So there is some limited ridership at stops that we would be no longer serving by Route 1. Um, but our, our balance every time we propose a, a route change is to try to serve more people with the same amount of resources. So we are hopeful that this, um, this new routing would help us capture more riders and, and serve people um, in the area better than, than we do right now. So I believe I'll pause there and see if there are any initial questions or thoughts on Route 1. I guess maybe one more broad thing I'll say before I move forward is there's a current survey on Lawrence Listens right now um, accepting feedback on Route 1 and Route 29, which we're about to walk through. Um, there's information at the library about the route changes, um, and we have done outreach to our bus drivers that operate both of these routes to get their input and to have them start putting their ear to the ground with, with riders on their, on their routes. So 
those are some of the ways we're trying to, to get feedback for these. Um, but with that said, I'll, I'll pause again and see if there's any thoughts on, on Route 1 changes. Hi, this is August, a PTAC member, a committee member. What will the frequency still be half hour on that route? Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Yes. Yep. No changes to frequency. Okay. The, the only two concerns I have are the 11th and Delaware unprotected left-hand turn, and then also the bottleneck at 10th and Delaware for Jungle House and uh, Decade Coffee product unloading. Their semi truck deliveries park in the middle of Delaware, and basically funnel. What's the, what's the word? Funnel it down, I guess, to almost a single lane narrow. Bottleneck. Um, Bottleneck. There we go. Thank you. And it, it's not frequently, but I, I use Delaware quite a bit. And so, and I drive a little tiny coupe, so it, it, it can be hairy. So those are just my two concerns I'd like to discuss is the unloading a product for decade and jungle house. And then the unprotected left-hand turn at 11th and Delaware. So Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. Um, I did bring up the unprotected left with drivers. Cause I knew that was something that I wanted to, get their feeling on, on if, um, if they thought that would be okay. You know, that is this route along Delaware and um, 8th, New Jersey, 7th is one of these city defined truck routes. So it's a place where we kind of want to push larger vehicles. Um, so the drivers I spoke with didn't feel as concerned about that unprotected left. I mean, there was recognition that at certain times of day certainly is busy. Um, so something to think about. Uh, this particular route does have a little extra time in it. So if they, if a driver had to sit there for a minute or a couple of minutes, um, the, the feedback from drivers is that that would, that would be something they could handle. Um, now the trucks parking in the street, that's an interesting one. Um, you know, we certainly can do some direct outreach to Decade and Jungle House and just better understand what their options are for deliveries, if that's their only option, or at least understand how often that happens, or if there's any sort of regular schedule to it so that we can be aware. But yeah, if they're in the middle of the Delaware, there's no way we'd be passing. We just have to sit and wait. Thank you. This is Mike Wozkowski, PTAC Chair. Do any other members have uh questions or clarifications they'd like about this uh, proposed change? Yeah, Lance Faye, Vice Chair of PTAC. Um, there's a couple of things dealing more with amenities and communicating to riders. Um, some of the stops that will be eliminated along 11th Street and then turning up towards um, 10th and Vermont uh, if you were to know the demographic of the riders that currently use those stops, um, when this route changes, you're going to want to have some really effective um, verbal and written communication, not an app on your phone communication. Uh, may want to see if we can get ahead of getting either signs removed or something posted on them, because you're going to have a lot of people that are just kind of uh, used to getting on and off on those stops. and in many cases aren't going to know about this very well ahead of time. Uh, also, let's look at where the closest stop is to New York Elementary. I know of a couple of families that take their kids to and from New York Elementary on the city bus. Uh, 
it look I see where they can get off the bus that's just a couple blocks away but again my concern here is a matter of uh, communication and leaving stops and benches and immunities out without any indication that they're no longer active and the confusion that that might cause and so if we could get ahead of that before this change occurs I think otherwise it's probably pretty good Adam Weigel, Transit Parking Manager, and those are those are good points. And I, I guess I will clarify. And this, uh, I don't know if this complicates things or makes them easier. But the 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 few stops that we show us going away from on Route One will continue to be stops for routes 11 and 15. They will just no longer be served by Route One. So we will, to your point, Lance, we still will need to. Um, I agree, get ahead of that communication to let Route 1 riders know that those, those stops won't be um, ones they can get off on anymore. Um, but we've, uh, at those points, those, those bus stop signs are not coming up. They're, they're staying there to still serve a couple of the other routes, um, Route 11 and 15. So um, we'll just have to think about how we best how we best communicate that Route 1 is no, no longer going to be at those places. Mike Wozikowski, PTAC Chair. Thank you, uh, Lance and Adam, for that discussion. Does anyone else have any other uh, questions or concerns about this proposed change? Okay, hearing none, uh, let's talk about Route 29 then, Adam. Okay, so again, for context, I'll just do this zoomed out version of Route 29. So largely the route uh, staying the same all the way until 23rd and Hawthorne is where we start proposing changes. So the western end of the route. So uh, over in this area, the, the bus does a little bit of a figure eight currently. So we, we currently take Clinton Parkway out to Inverness. Uh, we take a counterclockwise loop around, um, around Inverness 27th, Wakarusa, back to Clinton. And then we serve currently only one direction, only in the eastbound direction along 24th place. There's a few major apartment complexes there where a bulk of the ridership comes from on the, on the western end of this route. And then one other oddity is that we use a frontage road um, for a very short travel distance. Um, kind of runs along Clinton Parkway before, before jogging back at, at Hawthorne. So uh, one of the reasons we are looking to take this um, more in a bi-directional pattern along Clinton Parkway and 24th place is to match existing Route 9 in the area. Um, having a couple of routes that serve the same area but do it in a different pattern, uh, it's just not very convenient for passengers and um, certainly new riders can, I'm sure, create some confusion. Um, another consideration is that we have a stop right here along this frontage road that 
is um, close to an apartment complex here, and that's where a bulk of the ridership comes from. There's just under about 50 people a day. But that stop is located at a place where there's no sidewalk. Um, and when there's no sidewalk, it's very tough for us to get improvements. We typically don't go in and pour a concrete pad in a place if it's not going to be ADA compliant. So we're looking to ask riders from that stop to use a stop just about 100 feet up uh, next to Clinton Parkway that is ADA compliant. Um, we've got a bench there now. We may look at uh, improving that to have a shelter given the amount of ridership in the area. Uh, but we think adding more bi-directional service here just creates a more straightforward route. Um, I know some of the early returns from the survey that's out is that students mentioned the frustration, students who live in these apartment complexes at when they're westbound riding back home, they have two choices. They can either get off at Clinton and Crossgate and walk a decent amount of distance to their apartment complex on 24th place, or they can ride the bus all the way around the loop until it comes back and drops in front of their apartment complex. So this change would allow um, you know, more direct service to and from some of those major generators. So I'll probably leave it at that for Route 29. That's uh, generally what we're looking at out there. This is Mike Wozkowski, PTAC Chair. Do any members or uh, people in the audience have uh, questions or concerns about this route? Yeah, Lance Fay, Vice Check, Chef, Vice Chair, I have more of a question. Um, I know that some of the apartments that are in this area, there's uh, some senior-based apartments, and I'm just curious if there has been any feedback or concern voiced among senior users um, of this route involving this. Most of. Um, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, I have not seen any. Uh, early feedback through the survey yet. I have not had relays from the operators related to uh, senior living. I know. This is Mark. Oh. Mark Greta DeFries from KU. Most of those apartments are down along Crossgate closer to 27th Street, and we don't actually serve those apartments that are senior living in this current proposed version of Route 29. We never have. Route 9 used to, but doesn't any longer. Um, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. The other thing that jumps in my mind with Route 29 as seniors is I know we've there's um, some housing further east on the route where it's not changing, so closer to Clinton and Iowa. Um, and I know we've got some pedestrian network challenges over there as far as some lack of sidewalk and different things that are definitely on our radar for improvement. Um, but in, in this area, I have, have not heard anything yet. Were there certain, what, I guess I'll we just want to clarify, Lance, are, um, are we talking about the area a little farther south, as Margaret mentioned, Clinton? Yeah, uh, Lance Faye, Vice Chair PTAC. Um, it, it's kind of an overall area thing, um, and it's more asked as a question. I don't have a specific location in mind. 
Uh, I've just kind of heard, from what little I've ever written Route 29, I've heard a little bit about, uh, say, seniors wanting to get to, say, the high V, where the stops are relevant to that or where they are relevant to their apartments from that. And that's only been a couple of things. So I'm more asking a question as to if you've heard more um, I know when the route was changed a couple of years ago, there was question about where bus stop service would be to that high V. And right now, as I look at, I can't picture a big problem with that right now looking at this, but I, I'm less familiar with this route than some of the others. So I'm more asking a question as to if you've heard anything that I maybe haven't. Gotcha. Yeah, that's Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Yeah, those are good questions to be asking we'll definitely keep our ears open as we get feedback on this one um, I guess the other general thing I would just put in all of our on all of our radars as we move into the major route redesign discussion later this year is um, you know s seniors using transit as one of those lenses we'll want to look through major route redesign with we'll just want to keep that in mind as we think about how we serve Lawrence overall important to think about okay I will I will move on if there's other questions we can come back to it so uh, last slide here uh, just wanted to give an update of what, what we're looking at next so um, as I alluded to we did meet with bus operators of each of these routes um, about a month ago now to, to talk through our proposed recommendations just to see if they had any um, insight things we weren't thinking of uh, but heard heard pretty supportive feedback from from that side of things our current survey that's out right now is open for another two weeks so um, please if you haven't taken it yourself please do or encourage those around you to take it um, before March 22nd um, so later tonight actually uh, we are also meeting with the East Lawrence Neighborhood Association to talk through the Route 1 change since it will um, affect that part of the neighborhood. Um, the one item I don't think I mentioned as I walked through this is there is uh, a potential opportunity on the realigned Route 1 to incorporate um, some existing public art with transit. Uh, there is um, an installation called the Wishing Bench close to 9th and Delaware, which is pretty close to where we'd look at siting some new stops. And um, we're certainly not gonna force anything on the neighborhood, but we'll open that question to them and see if there's interest in uh, perhaps shifting that uh, installation just a little bit to become a bus stop amenity um, and, and be kind of a functional use. Um, or it's possible that the neighborhood would rather it continue to be you know, just a reflective art installation. So. Um, we're, we're open to that, but just saw it as a potential opportunity to, um, to kind of bring some uniqueness to the system that, that might be valuable. Uh, so we're bringing these proposed changes to you tonight. Um, we will plan on bringing back uh, final recommended changes in April. So similar to last year, um, and I have a linked document here, we will digest everything we heard through public comment and make any necessary edits or changes to our initial proposals. And we will package that in a document so people can understand what we initially proposed, what we heard from people, and uh, 
you know, why we did or didn't respond to concerns or, uh, you know, tweaked recommendations from, from people as they commented. Um, so we'll bring back final changes in April. There's a chance um, things might be different if we hear, you know, some good arguments from the public while this is out. So that is what I had on proposed route changes, but happy to answer any other questions. This is Michael Ozkowski, PTAC Chair. Do any members or people in the audience have final questions before we wrap up this agenda item? Hearing none, uh, let's move on to agenda item number two, which is the March distributions of the fair donation policy. Okay, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Share again. Okay, so we did some work with this group to talk through um, uh, an improved fare donation policy, a way that we provide free passes to the community and allow uh, organizations to submit requests for those passes. Um, as you can recall, we made a few key changes. We added to the number of passes we made available. We did more direct outreach to organizations that purchase bulk passes and that have applied for donated fares in the past. Um, and we created a system uh, to handle if we got more requests than available passes. So our first uh, deadline for, for requests was March 1st. We received requests from um, 12 organizations who submitted applications for passes. Uh, half of those requests uh, were for the maximum amount that we set per organization. And it did turn out, as we thought that it probably would, that uh, the, the total dollar amount of requests exceeded what we had available for the March distribution period. Uh, that's probably too small. So I anonymized the organizations here, but these are the actual requested amounts and distribution amounts. Um, so we, you can see the 12 organizations, uh, varying levels of requested dollar amounts worth of passes. There was a pretty good mix of organizations that requested different fare types. So. Um, single ride passes or 10 ride punch cards or T-lift passes, that, that was pretty mixed. Um, using our uh, calculation to stay within our amount that we could actually distribute, you can see the column on the far right is what we're proposing to actually distribute. Um, so as an example, organization number one asked for $374 worth of passes, but given all the requests that came in, what we can offer to that organization is $333 worth of passes. So because our total requests were higher than what we have to offer, everybody gets a little bit less than what they asked for. Um, and that's, I think as we talked through that as a group a couple of months ago, that was decided as a, a, a fair way to, to try to do that. Um, so I don't have a lot of content with this. I have 
a broad discussion question of just if there's any feedback or concerns from the way this is looking uh, this year. This is kind of our first time uh, trying this uh, new amount of distributions and the way we do it. So just looking for a, a gut check from members if people have, uh, think this is still a good path and a good way to do things or if have any lingering questions or concerns. Nick Kuzmiak, P-TECH member. I had a couple of thoughts on this one. So th the first one is kind of just a question to remind me. Um, we, we increased something from 1% to 2%, and that was the budget that creates this allocation. C could you remind me what that comes from again? Yes. So historically, we the policy had always been 1% of the prior year's fair revenue. Okay. We changed that to be 2% and also to be a rolling three-year average of fair revenue so as to smooth out major peaks and valleys like we experienced with COVID. Right, okay. And is this particular uh, a request and distribution cycle the only one for 2021, or is this one of one, uh, four quarters, two halves? I kind of forget what the, the frequency was. I, this is Mike Wozikowski. I think we agreed on twice a year. Does that sound right, Adam? Yeah, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So yes, we have a, a March 1 distribution and an August 1st distribution. Okay, cool. Nick uh, Kuzmiak, P-TECH member. The other um, interesting thing I noticed is that a lot of organizations did the maximum uh, requested amount. So I guess I'm, I'm curious where the, the maximum requested amount came from. It appears to be 10% of the total amount that you had available. So was that, is that just kind of an arbitrary number just to kind of to uh, test it out. And I guess, um, do you think there's any organizations that truly need more donations than the maximum request allows, like Salvation Army, for example? Um, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So the 10% the number came from the prior, the policy that had been in place since 2004. Um, I mean, the, the intent is so that not just one organization request them all, you know, to set some maximum limit. Um, now, your question's a good one about, uh, you know, deserving, and when we look at applications, are there arguments to be made for, um, you know, one, one cause to be more weighted than another? I think the way the policy is set up, it's to discourage staff from being you know, playing favorites in that way. If, mm -hmm. if someone makes a good argument for the passes, we, we say you get your requested amount uh, with the caveat that we have to do this calculation to slim everybody down if, if we're over. Um, we don't really currently have a mechanism to, to say, you know, this request deserves everything it asks for. This other one should take a larger hit uh, to make up for that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... I don't know if this data analysis is necessarily warranted, but I'm kind of thinking at least some of these 12 organizations have presumably applied and received donated affairs before. Um, would it be possible to actually compare, say, you know, organization four, here's what they asked for in 2021. Here's what they asked for in 2020. Um, I'm assuming some of these will be zero. Some will, would have gotten what, 
you know, 100% of what they asked for, which was the, the maximum. So I'd be curious to see kind of who the winners and losers were. If there are much smaller organizations who ended up benefiting from this new uh, language, and if there's larger org organizations who are no longer able to fulfill their requests. Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. We can certainly look at that. I can tell you, just looking at the last three years, which we brought that data to the group last month, um, pretty wild swings in just the amount of organizations that would request these and the, the dollar amounts that were asked for. It might be different now that we're more openly, it's almost like a call for projects, right? I mean, we're saying it's time to apply, please apply. You know, we, we might see a different pattern because of the perhaps new transparency in, in this availability. Um, yeah. So it, it, I guess it's hard to say that's good or not yet, right? It's just different. And it, yeah, I think it'll be really interesting as this goes on to kind of see what the response is from the nonprofits. If, if they, they think it's unfair, more fair. Um, I mean, I suspect that somebody like Salvation Army might say, hey, this isn't really fair anymore. While it's a much smaller organization like the Ballard Center might say, this is you know, great, this is a lot better than we've had in the past. Um, and I guess that's just policy decisions for you, right? There's always gonna be winners and losers and unintended consequences. Um, I was thinking if <laughs> it might almost seem like a good idea to raise the request to, or the maximum request amount, simply because some organizations really do have a lot more people that they serve and may require more. But I think the problem could become um, if you know that you know every six months you're only going to get 70% of what you hope for, then you'll just increase the amount that you ask for by you know 30-ish percent, so that when you inevitably get cut 30%, you end up right where you wanted to be in the first place. So I wonder if there are going to be more savvy requesters who are going to kind of abuse that the system, which is why I would hesitate to raise or remove that maximum request value, um, rely on a lot of trust that the organizations would all play fair. So I don't know, um, just some thoughts there. Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. The only other thing I want us all to keep in mind is that this calendar year through route redesign study, major route redesign study, discussion around fare-free policy and um, other uh, kind of stratifications of equitable fair policy is, is coming up. So, um, okay. you know, this policy is what we have now. I'm, depending on how this year goes, could look very different a year or two from now. So just something to think about. That's good to keep in mind. Thanks. Mike Wozkowski, P-TECH Chair. Thank you for that conversation, Nick and Adam. Does anyone else have uh, questions, comments, or concerns about this recommended distribution? This is Al Lackland, PTAC member. Uh, on the usage, uh, do we track the actual usage of the distribution to make sure that all the uh, distributions are used? Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Uh, that is a tricky one. Um, I don't know that we have a foolproof way of doing that. I mean, it, it relies on us assuming that the the agencies that are requesting them use what they ask for. Um, there's there's not, you know, with paper passes, especially with different types of fair media that they're asking for. Um, 
there's not really a way to follow up and make sure that organization X, you know, actually needed 370 passes and used them all. That, that relies on some trust of the, the organizations that are applying for these. I'll act with PDAC member. Thank you. Uh, Michael Ozkowski, PTAC chair. That does actually, in me, raise a question. Do the paper passes, the 10 pull punch cards, do any of those expire ever? Uh, Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. So there's certain passes that, um, that will expire. I mean, obviously think about a monthly pass where it's labeled, uh, you know, March 2021. But a 10 ride punch card, a single ride pass will not expire. Mike Wazikowski, PTAC Chair, uh, if there are no further questions, since we need to recommend a distribution, I'll entertain a motion now to uh, approve the uh, numbers as laid out on this slide. Does anybody want to make a motion? Hey, Kuzmiak, PTAC member, I would motion that we uh, that we approve the changes that have been made to the fair donation program and try to continue them until circumstances change. Okay, is there a second? August Moodsell, PTAC member, I second. Okay, so we have a motion on the floor to approve the uh, policy and the distributions as laid out. Uh, believe uh, that we need to do, do a roll call then. Lance. Uh, I approve. Yes. Logan. Uh, I approve as well. Mike. Aye. Nick. Aye. Alan. Aye. Gregory. <coughs> Bill. August. Aye. Freddie. Aye. I heard uh, seven ayes and uh, two non-votes. So the motion uh, carries. Thank you very much, everyone. Okay, with no further discussion needed on agenda item two, let's go on to number three, which is the Request for qualification selection recommendation for the multimodal transfer facility. Okay, Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. PowerPoints left and right. Sorry, everybody. It's the name of the game tonight. All right. Um, well, I admittedly wish that this presentation was going to have a little more information to it, a little more specific information to it. Um, it's a little bit of a tricky timing challenge for us as we, uh, you know, have RFPs and RFQs out and, and try to negotiate agreements um, and get those before the city commission and, and get projects moving. I certainly want to 
bring things before you all before they hit the city commission desk, especially when we're going to go spend money on RFP and RFQ proposals. Um, but uh, can't share as deep information while we're kind of mid-negotiations of a contract. So I will I'll walk through this, and certainly as you have questions or want to have uh, gaps in information filled, please ask for them. I'll let you know if I have to be vague or if I can be more specific. Um, but I did want to bring this to the group still and, and for us to be able to talk through it. Um, so let's jump into this. So when we're talking about the um, multimodal transfer facility request for qualification, uh, so this is the RFQ that we put out um, in late January. Uh, we're asking for engineering and design services for the multimodal transfer facility at Bob Billings and Crestline. Um, and, uh, you know, receiving proposals, uh, I can talk through our, our process for how selection works, um, and we can get into what we, uh, what we saw in the proposals we received. So, let's see here. So just as a reminder, we're talking about the site just west of campus, uh, Bob Billings and Crestline. That's what we're looking at for the new uh, transfer facility that we're aiming to open in August of 2022. Um, I mentioned that the RFQ went out in late January. It closed on February 22nd. Um, the way we set up these RFPs and RFQs is we have um, objective criteria with which we score proposals. We put together uh, usually pretty small staff teams to help make the selections. Um, in this case, it was a mix of city staff, uh, KU staff, and um, neighborhood representative to help us look at the, the um, two proposals that we received and, and talk through uh, pros and cons, who we thought was more qualified to do this type of work. Goal is to select a firm by uh, a couple weeks ago and get a contract this month. So as I mentioned, we did successfully, out of the two proposals we got, um, felt confident that, that one of the groups was more qualified, had more relevant experience, um, but we are still working towards specifics of that agreement and uh, exactly what we'll see out of the scope of work. So we do hope to get that. Um, if, if stars align, we can maybe get that on next week's city commission agenda, but it is possible it will be in early April. Um, design will be uh, starting in, hopefully starting in April and through uh, this calendar year, essentially, um, with construction uh, perhaps starting towards the end of this calendar year, but largely being uh, in 2022, and looking for facility to open um, mid-July gives us a couple weeks before our route changes would go into effect in August for us to have a finished site, um, do some test runs, feel comfortable using it. I will now introduce some caveats to some of the things I've talked through already. Um, so walking through what we put in RFQ, what we said that we wanted the design and engineering firm to help us with. We have mostly been talking about um, 
our transfer facility out of Bob Billingson Crestline. And so there are some elements of that site that we certainly want the uh, engineer and design firm to look at. The building itself, not looking for a, a, a really large building, so we put in there to ask for about a 5,000 square foot building. If you can imagine um, uh, one of the kind of typical average size convenience stores is around 5,000 square feet. So not, not a huge building itself that we're looking for. Uh, you see some of the bullets of uses we're, we're thinking about for that building. So a small conference room you know, with, with lots of bus routes connecting to this site could be a good place to have PTAC meetings or other public meetings. Um, so some small area to do that. Uh, bus operator break room and restrooms. Um, restrooms perhaps for the public as well. Uh, looking at a couple of flex office spaces. So there are not plans for city staff or KU staff or uh, our first transit contractors to have full-time offices at uh, this site, but having a couple of desks where you can plug in a laptop and do work for two hours or four hours um, will probably be a useful thing. So a couple of flex spaces where we can do that. And then this is a site where we're looking to coordinate our lost and found out of. So some room for that activity to happen. It might be a storage room. We've looked at some uh, kind of locker possibilities where we can just direct people to certain lockers with codes and have them get, get their stuff that way. Uh, but we are looking for that type of activity to, to be here as well. Um, bus operations wise, uh, looking at 10 bus bays to accommodate city and KU buses, as well as a couple of commuter bays. So uh, bays that could accommodate like a 50 foot over the road commuter coach. Um, it'll be a, a pretty good place to bring in like the K10 connector from Johnson County. Um, we can look and see if we can bring Greyhound to this site to, to more, um, you know, kind of link up our regional and local services. And then if there's anything in the future that would connect between Lawrence and Topeka, this could be a good place for that exchange to happen as well. So we do want to plan on those regional connections, commuter bus bays being a part of the site. Um, of course, an outdoor passenger waiting area. So instead of individual bus shelters, um, if you can imagine a large area that's covered with a canopy um, and lighting and, and uh, things like that. We will need a small amount of automobile parking just for staff and to accommodate uh, you know, people, uh, particularly uh, accessible spaces for people to come to meetings, things like that. Uh, we're not looking for this to be a park and ride situation or a place for students to find uh, near, near to campus parking, so, uh, but we are looking for some small amount of automobile parking. Uh, bike parking, of course, we're looking at short and long-term bike parking, so bike racks like you see around town, but also things like bike lockers, uh, where you'd have your bicycle stored in an enclosed space where you might feel more comfortable leaving it all day, particularly in the weather. Um, and we list real-time real bus arrival signage, so signage that would tell you, you know, Route 1 is coming in 10 minutes, that sort of thing. Now. 
I mentioned caveats. Um, the piece to this project that is uh, maybe different than how we've talked about it before and how the, how the project's been framed before is that we know that even with major route redesign, we are still going to need some amount of transfer activity downtown. Um, that is just the way our town is set up. It would not make a whole lot of sense to take everything that currently transfers downtown and move it all to Bob Billings and Crestline. Um, we just need some, some sort of transfer activity down here to adequately serve East Lawrence, North Lawrence, Sixth Street Corridor. Uh, there's just places where um, it, it won't make sense to take every route to this new facility. So we did include in this RFQ a request to have um, engineering and design consultant help us with site selection design for improved amenities downtown for three to five bus bays. So we're looking at less, you know, buses at one time transferring downtown, but still having some uh, better accommodations, safer accommodations for buses, passengers um, to, to exist down here. So, so that portion of the project, like I said, three to five bus bays, again, an outdoor waiting area with the canopy, um, bicycle parking. I list a, a prefabricated operator restroom so in the event that we are not close enough to the library for bus drivers to quickly run in and out and use the restroom during their layover time, we will need some operator restroom option. So they make standalone um, prefabricated restrooms that, uh, that look nice and could accommodate that need if we were to have downtown transfers not exactly where they, they currently are today. So uh, those are some of the, the elements we definitely asked for. Uh, we do still have an open mind about some things. Um, so we had an optional list as well. A couple of those items were, um, uh, I guess before we move on from downtown, I'll just note we are not thinking about any sort of building downtown other than the canopies and the waiting area. So we're not thinking about a staffed facility or you know, another operator waiting room or restroom or, or things like that. Um, so a little bit different than the main facility out of Bob Billings. So on the optional side of things, uh, customer service window. In this case, we'd be talking about out at the Bob Billings and Crestline site. Uh, you know, perhaps we want indoor public waiting area, customer service, people who can help uh, guide with information. Um, uh, Perhaps this is a place where we want either some general storage for city use or um, a tornado shelter. You know that part of town. I need to look. We need to look at our our tornado shelter map, but it might make sense with people on buses and, and bus operators for us to have some solution for uh, tornado safety. And then also, just from a multimodal perspective, um, do we want a ride-hailing or a pickup drop-off lane? So a place where, where shared automobiles can create a connection between transit to and from. Um, it's a thing that other large cities have. Lots of times they're called kiss and ride lanes. Um, you know, you kiss your partner goodbye as they take the bus and you drive to your, your work. So uh, we're keeping our, our options open for that type of activity. 
I think before I jump to the next slide, I might pause and see if there's any questions or thoughts about the things that we asked for or looked for through the RFQ. This is Mike Wazikowski, PTAC Chair. Um, I was curious, what kind of flexibility did we offer in terms of the location, both on the uh, on the site for Bob Billings and Crestline, as well as downtown areas? That's a good question. Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So uh, given the 2014 and the 2018 site selection studies, uh, as well as the MOU that we signed with KU last summer for the Bob Billings site, that main facility site is pretty locked in. We did not provide flexibility for the main transfer site, um, given the amount of steps it's taken to get there for that. I think to clarify, I was more wondering the specific, like, it, do they have flexibility between Crestline and Iowa Street on the south end of Bob Billings. Yes, thank you for that clarification. Um, absolutely, we've got we've got that. Uh, we we can't go all the way to Iowa. So if I go back up to the the red line that you see here, we've got that amount of flexibility from KU as far as you know what we might move forward with. The reality is there's some significant grade challenges on the site, so that will kind of guide where we ultimately end up. Um, you know, as, as you see the trees start here, that's pretty sharply going uphill up to the lead center. Um, so that, that does limit us as far as, as kind of what is really feasible. But yes, it is really an open slate for them to help us figure out access and where the best, how would it best work for pedestrians and, and different things like that. So there is flexibility there. Thank you. And uh, what about on the uh, downtown spaces that you were spelling out? Obviously, we have the space that's between uh, 7th and 8th Street on Vermont next to the public library that would be an option. But or what other locations are we giving them the freedom to explore doing improvements there? Yeah, so Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Uh, downtown is a little more open. There were a couple sites identified in the 2018 study. Um, one of them you alluded to was our current site. Uh, another was one of the Vermont Street lots, I think between 9th and 10th, um, kind of so the just south of Wheatfields. Um, I don't know that we want to limit them to just look at those two sites. I think given, um, given how we try to coordinate with the businesses that we're currently next to, uh, I think citing ourselves adjacent to existing businesses might be challenging. I think city-owned property, um, so things like parking lots, are probably a more viable place for us to look at carving some space out of for adequate facilities. Um, something else to think about is the downtown master plan process that's been going on, you know, also considers city-owned parking lots as opportunities for development. So there are a lot of moving pieces downtown, um, and, and we expect that to be, 
you know, site selection and then what we might do there to be a very robust discussion with a lot of pros and cons about any site. But I think that um, I think that city-owned property down here is probably a more likely way for us to move forward um, and, and find a spot where we can get just a little space for a three to five bus base. Acoustic PTEC member, I wanted to kind of explore the idea of the downtown uh, improvements a little more. So, in my experience in engineering, usually an RFP or an RFQ involves at least some sort of what you think the job is going to cost. But it sounds like with this downtown area, there's really it's all pretty open at this point. There's really not um, a clear vision as to what it's going to look like. So were applicants judged more on their creativity or their past experience? Um, how did you d decide, or I guess even did you decide between the applicants based on the approach to the downtown stops? Yeah, so Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So a couple things. Um, I guess the first thing I would say is that I, th I think the clarity in what we're doing downtown is three to five bus bays, covered canopy, seating underneath that. So I think programming-wise, there is some clarity to what we're looking for. There's maybe less clarity to where right now. Um, to, the, to the point about measuring proposals, and we'll get into this a little bit on the next slide, you know, one of the reasons we went RFQ instead of RFP, so request for qualifications instead of for proposals, is that we did really care about um, experience, relevant experience, their, their qualifications. Um, because we have some of these less surefire things we're doing, you know, we're not exactly asking them to do ABC. Um, we, we cared a lot about their past work with transit facilities and, and the different things they had done. And certainly, um, looking for, you know, did they have an example of them doing work in a downtown area where they had to balance um, how things look compared to historic properties and, uh, you know, how they fit into already densely developed areas. Um, so that was, I'm hoping that's kind of getting at your question, Nick, at, at what we considered when we're looking at two proposals and, and, and not having, you know, an exact, uh, an exact plan in front of them of what we want them to execute. Yeah, that's exactly what I was asking. Thank you for uh, clarifying that. Hey, this is August, uh, PTEC member. And Adam, this may be premature. One of my biggest concerns when they were discussing the transfer facility was what routes would continue to go downtown. Is there any idea or any assumption, like any prognostication of what will be like one, six, seven, or is it just way too early to, to tell? Well, you know, we're uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So we have set our first route redesign study steering committee meeting for the last week of this month. So, you know, we're just starting to just starting to get into what do we want our system to look like. Um, so it is pretty early. I would say, I mean, you can, when you look at our map, um, I think you, you've kind of zeroed in on a few routes where it it's probably not going to make, we're probably gonna always have a route along the corridor of 6th Street, right? It probably doesn't make a ton of sense to drag that to Bob Billings and Crestline and have that still function in a way that's practical for people moving up and down that corridor. Um, I think you can similarly see things on how we 
serve the east side of town and, and different things. So I think you're, you're tracking probably the way that discussion's going to go um, as far as um, what routes stay in certain areas. Um, but it is still early and a little up in the air until we really get into route redesign study. Uh, Lance Faye, PTAC Vice Chair. Um, if you look at the um, route redesign proposals drawn by the KU grad students last year, that'll give you some pretty good insight as to what some of the possibilities are. Um, and the concern about there still being service and connectivity in downtown from north and east uh, and along 6th Street parts of the city is, has been an ongoing concern. Um, it's, it's been, I've been following the concern about where a transit hub will be and where the routes will be for well over a decade now. And um, it, one way or the other, that's going to be addressed as far as exactly where and what. That's, I guess, what we get to figure out in the next few months. But that's definitely has been an ongoing concern. And fortunately, it's being addressed quite well at this point. So. Mike Wozniakowski, PTAC Chair. Do any other members have comments about the uh, proposed uh, elements here for the transfer facilities? Okay, uh, Adam, how about, can we go to slide five then? Yes, so Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So, um, I didn't want to put in every single thing we liked and disliked about the proposals we received, but I did want to set the stage for um, how, we, how that group looked to make its decision. Um, so with the first proposal, uh, which is the proposal group that we're pursuing a contract agreement with, there was uh, a lot of relevant work experience, a ton of work on multimodal facilities, on transit facilities. Um, some examples using um, very similarly challenging sites to what we're looking at. So long, skinny sites with steep grade changes, uh, some downtown experience. Uh, that the, What we're calling proposal one here uh, really delivered on a lot of that, um, that type of experience more than 120 transit projects in the last 15 years. So lots of, um, lots of work examples to draw from. And uh, when I was able to reach out to reference projects and people who, who worked with uh, that group before, there was, there was good feedback on, on how those ended up. Uh, another thing we were impressed by with that proposal was the, the way they're looking to um, engage with the public and with stakeholders in a way that, that we think will be very meaningful. Um, you know, there's the facility project is a little interesting because we have done, we have asked people about programming <laughs> quite a bit. Um, if you look at the 2018 study, there was a lot of public engagement around what do you want to see at the transit facility. Um, you know, of course, people bring up things like restrooms and bike parking and, and you know, uh, there's a giant list of programming things that that people want to see. Um, with, with this stage that we're in right now, um, 
and, and particularly with downtown, I think there will just need to be some very focused design and stakeholder work at the same time, uh, talking about sites and um, how things look in relation to the things that they're next to. And the, the first proposal laid, laid that out pretty well, we thought. Um, additionally, they have some coordination already with the uh, companies that are working on our route redesign study. So we know that we want those two studies to talk to each other. You know, as we figure out what routes are going to do, that will inform what we need out of our facilities. So we saw some good uh, synergy there. Uh, the downside, or the one thing that stood out as, uh, as um, maybe a downside for the first proposal was uh, that group didn't have any past experience with Lawrence. They hadn't done projects here. Um, so that was something we noted. And as you can see in proposal two, that, that uh, kind of favored the other proposal. They did have some Lawrence experience. What uh, proposal number two had lacked was um, as much relevant experience with transit and with multimodal facilities. Uh, they gave us uh, quite a few different projects that didn't have much to do with transit. Um, and while those were interesting and, and good to see that they can kind of be flexible in that way, uh, group, the panel that reviewed this would have liked to see more uh, kind of direct experience with what we're trying to achieve um, with transit here. So. I understand that is very vague, but I'm happy again to pause if there's um, any other questions related to decision making, how, how we thought through proposals as we were looking at them. This is Mike Wazikowski, Pete Tech Chair. Um, obviously, you have to be anonymous about this a little bit, but for the outfit that provide proposal one, you noted no direct Lawrence experience. Do they have experience in other towns that look like Lawrence, like say college towns or uh, towns that are just too big to be serviced by a single transfer facility? So Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, that's a good question and, and yes, they did have, um, I don't have it as one of the positives, but it should have been up there. Um, they did have some university experience in, in places that have uh, city and university systems that work together. So there was, you know, it, it wasn't as if they had only worked in large metro areas or, or something like that. There was um, indication that they uh, know what they're dealing with, with a town our size and a college town our size and, and that sort of thing. Uh, Michael Wazkowski, and uh, the other question I had was, I'm not familiar with what an RFQ involves in complete, so maybe this is not the right point, but was there a difference in the price point between the two proposals? So Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So that, um, so with RFQ, we do ask for uh, like a billing rate sheet so they can tell us how much various members of their team would charge. But the intent of an RFQ is to judge the proposals based on qualifications and not based solely on price, and then negotiate that price to you know what we can handle with our budget and what we what we think is reasonable for for this project. Um, because we you know have some optional things and some things we want to look at downtown, it's much harder 
to do something like an RFP where they would give us a, a number for that whole project right now because of the fact we have to work through some of it to really understand what it looks like in its completion. Um, so that was one of the reasons we went with RFQ was to not base it so much on, oh, this one's you know $20,000 less, so we should choose them. Um, it's more on qualifications, and then we you know do our best from city side to make sure it fits what we can handle budget-wise. Thank you. Uh, Mike Wozkowski, PTAC Chair. Do any members or members of the audience have uh, questions or concerns between the two proposals? Okay, hearing none, um, let's go on slide six. Yeah, so Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, not a whole lot else here, but just noting that, um, as I mentioned, still in those contract negotiations, um, we will see if March 16th is feasible or if it needs to be in early April. Um, but we hope, even if we're on an April City Commission meeting uh, with you know, trying to get that contract signed. We're hoping that work can still start in April to keep us on, keep us on schedule. Um, that is all I had for content. The only other thing I would say is that I think I had framed this as asking for a recommendation for a proposal. I guess I might leave that up to the group. Um, <laughs> I'd feel more comfortable asking you for a vote if I had actual proposals to show you and you kind of felt better about that. So I'll maybe leave that up to you chair and, and members if um, I'm happy to just kind of take feedback or direction if you want us to look in different ways as opposed to a, a vote on recommending something to commission, but up to you. Lance. Uh, this is Mike was. Oh, go ahead, Lance, sorry. Uh, yeah, Lance Faye, Vice Chair, PTAC. I was gonna say, um, since there isn't an actual proposal and in the interest of time, as it is a little tw about 22 after five, I, I don't know that I would feel comfortable making a recommendation yet I'd like to know, I think I'd like to see more before going formal with it, so. And uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, the, this is where the timing gets tricky. Um, as we're trying to, and we may not have a chance to come back to you all for a recommendation to City Commission unless we wanna delay our timeline to do that. So, um, that's the piece where we're hoping to get something negotiated and try to get rolling so we can start in, in April. But if, uh, if the group wants to recommend before we go to commission, then we're probably, uh, we're probably, probably looking at late April before starting, which might be a challenge timeline-wise. This is August Twitter, so PTEC member. I just wanted to say I was very hesitant for the transit facility on Bob Billings when it first was being proposed back in 2017 or 18. And seeing this presentation today really helps me feel comfortable with where the commission and the PTAC committee are going as far as getting things molded to what our city needs. So just based on the little of information we have today, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Mike Wozikowski, P-Tech Chair, thank you for that, August. Uh, does anyone else have any other comments, questions? Okay, hearing none. Um, personally, 
I think it's okay to keep negotiating the contract with the uh, firm that provided proposal one. Uh, to me, simply having worked in Lawrence is not necessarily that strong of a positive for us, other than it means that we have a pre-existing relationship with them. Uh, what I'm most concerned about is whether the outfit that we choose has the capability to uh, design and then construct a uh, quality facility for us. And I guess a quality second facility for the downtown area as well. So for me, I, I don't necessarily think we can really approve other than just to say that I, personally, I'm leaning toward proposal one. So I don't know that there is a motion that we really need to make on this. Okay. Well, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, I will certainly keep everyone updated, and I can do that um, just informationally through through email, and of course we'll have things on our website related to this project. Um, so make sure you all aren't surprised by anything, but um, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty happy with where it's going. We're just uh, trying to keep pushing through so that this year is, uh, gets us far enough so that next year is successful. Um. Sorry, Mike Wazitowski, P-TECH Chair. One final question. If it does come up for approval on the uh, 316 meeting, would it be a part of the consent agenda? Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Uh, that's likely where we'd put it, in, unless we get other direction from City Manager's office. Um, but this is a budgeted item. It's part of a project that's known. We'd certainly... Um, you know, if commission wanted to discuss it or, or if uh, city manager's office thought we should do that, we'd be open, but we would likely start with it on consent. Okay, thank you. Uh, the only thing I'd say is if it get, does get pulled off a consent agenda, please advise me so that I can attend. Absolutely, thank you. Uh, Mike Wazkowski, PTAC Chair, that wraps up agenda item number three, and seeing as we are at 5.30, uh, I'm going to move that we table agenda item number four to the April meeting, which I know it's uh, important. Coma training is very important, but we're kind of out of time. And Mike, uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, I might suggest that um, that members just review this information that we have before you all. And, and if there are questions, please let me know. But uh, that way we can, you know, everyone has the information and they can review it. Um, there, the, the only one thing I would mention related to that item is uh, just some new guidance related to real-time Facebook commenting. Uh, so if you find yourself with four other PTAC members all simultaneously commenting on Facebook posts, that can be considered violation of coma. So uh, just a heads up on that, that's something maybe newer that we hadn't necessarily thought about. But with that, um, uh, happy to present in April or we can just have members review it and and uh, and certainly bring questions back to staff and, and we can help with in that way. Mike Wazkowski, P. Texture. I certainly advise everyone review the materials and I still think it would be worthwhile to have it as an agenda item for April. Uh, don't know what our agenda will be quite yet, but if we have more time, I think it's worth spending time during a meeting talking it out with staff as opposed to just trusting that we're all reading everything and getting the gist. 
Uh, Lance Fay, Vice Chair PTAC. Um, I, I would agree and say, well, maybe what we could do is arrange to have it as one of the first agenda items. And if everyone has reviewed it, perhaps we could kind of go through it, you know, reasonably quickly. Kind of was the idea, maybe. But since it does need to be addressed, perhaps if we try to put it towards the top of the agenda and know that we've got other things to get to, then maybe that would work best. <laughs> Yeah, this is Freddie Get PTAC member. Uh, I agree with Lance's suggestion. I think that's a good idea. Okay, uh, Mike Wozkowski, PTAC chair. That's what we'll do uh, when Adam and Lance and I set up the agenda for April. We'll uh, set the coma review as the first agenda item and uh, then have everything else follow from there. Okay. Uh, before we break, do any PTAC members or uh, Adam and uh, Felice, do you have any uh, further notes that you'd like to provide us? Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. One thing, just real quick, um, staff is going to pursue uh, the 2021 LONO grant application. Um, so we pursued LONO last year and won five electric buses and associated infrastructure. Um, Given the way we set up our current project that we're working through, we've got all the infrastructure we need to just add one more bus, uh, which fits our vehicle purchasing needs. Um, we, we really need to buy one or two buses a year, essentially. So we, we are planning on pursuing that um, and see if we can get one more electric bus coming our way that would arrive in 2023. So just a heads up that we're moving that direction. Thank you, Adam. Uh, Mike Wozkowski, PTAC Chair, any uh, members have uh, last comments? Okay, hearing none. Uh, just as a reminder, if you do have any agenda items that you'd like us to consider for the future, you may uh, contact Lance, myself, and Adam by email. Please be sure to only include those three of us, as if you include too many people that will uh, risk uh, violating coma and triggering a meeting, and we don't wanna do that. Uh, otherwise, uh, our next meeting will be held on April 12th, and I believe it'll be uh, same time, same Zoom place as we've had this meeting. So, uh, Thank you very much for your time and attention today and for the uh, lively discussion on our agenda items. Really appreciate you uh, taking interest in our uh, public transit system. And with that, uh, unless someone else has something really important, uh, I move that we adjourn. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you, Steve.